0: Now we're going to watch a short video, and then Wilson is going to come up and share the message.
1: As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. You like that one? Huh? How about it? You like that one? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, hmm, you know, (laughs) and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth, that's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There's not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I like all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and then everybody went out and healed a few, cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest, pagan Anaheim. Over there by Disneyland, that's where I want to go, because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now, that's pathetic, isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it, we sang about it, we preached about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. Did he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world it's not knowing it was done once it's not knowing that it's important it's doing it that's going to change the world somewhere someplace somebody's got to start believing this book and acting on it and I figure it might as well be us we're qualified And we understand that it can be done.
0: That's a cool video, isn't it? Hi, I'm Wilson, one of the young adult pastors here. You saw that picture up there of the much more beautiful person on my left. It's my new wife. But um, first, uh, that guy narrating that cartoon we just watched, his name is John Wimber. And he's actually, he was the first leader of the Vineyard Movement. And this is something he really um, kind of brought in was do the stuff Jesus did. He was really committed to that, that, that was why Jesus came to earth was to show us not so much what God could do. You know, we saw God do awesome things in the Old Testament, part the Red Sea, all kinds of stuff. Jesus' purpose was to show us what we could do through him. And uh, I actually want to start with that this morning. But first, to to set a little context, um, I'm going to read this passage in John. It's not going to be up on the screen, so just you can listen to my voice as I read this to you. My soothing, sweet voice. (laughs) Hopefully no one's going to go to sleep. Okay, this is John 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Notice here, how does this start? How does Jesus what's the, this is a prophetic word. That's what Jesus is doing right now is he's receiving a divine idea of something about Nathanael. He's not just guessing about something about him. He is, God has revealed something to him about Nathanael and he's sharing that with him. And it's important to notice it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. So he saw him and then he prophesied. A lot of times that's how it works for me. I see people and I just get this kind of unction, this like idea about them. And then I just start speaking it out to them. And notice this is something positive that Jesus started saying to him. He says, behold, and is your light indeed in whom there is no deceit. So he starts with something positive about him, a encouraging word. And oftentimes this is how the prophetic starts to flow in our life. We begin with something positive we see in somebody, something that Jesus would say to them if he saw them. And then more just comes. So actually I'm gonna take a risk right now. I wasn't planning on doing this. Is anybody else ready to do something different this morning? What do you guys think about getting up and move around a little bit for five minutes? You guys promise you'll do this if I if I go here? Yeah? Okay. What I'm gonna do is ask everybody to stand up. Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this again. Jesus says. It says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. So what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna ask you guys to go front and back, left and right, find a partner, and then raise your hands, you have your partner, and I'll give you more instructions. Ready, set, go. Somebody you don't know. <laughs> Alright. Partner up toss your hand up when you find a partner, please. If you don't have a partner, just walk towards the front. Everybody good? You guys can partner up. Perfect. It's okay. You know each other. That's all right. We need another. Anyone else need a partner? Just walk up front. We got one person right here. All right. Come on, Celia. Right here. Oh, Mike. Here, grab a van. All right. Everybody good? Hey, this is fun. Do you guys think you're going to get to do some exercise this morning at church? <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. Hmm. Lori, you have one partner over here. All right. So here's what's going to happen. Person, one person, just decide who person A is and person B. Just talk really quick and decide who's going to be person A. All right, good. No more talking. That's it. <laughs> Sounds good. You got it. So now, person A, all you're going to do is ask the person across from you their name. Go ahead, and ask them their name. All right. Now, what I'm going to give you, what I'm going to let you do, is actually here we're gonna we're gonna roll a really quick video clip. Sorry, Maria. Could you play the clip? So here, I'm going to explain you guys what's happening. We're going to get a chance to prophesy. You're going to get a chance to step into taking a risk right now and giving somebody an encouraging word. And what this comes from is just 20 seconds of bravery. All I'm going to ask you to do is just talk for 20 seconds. And sometimes when we think outside of ourselves, we look bigger than where we're at internally, God breaks through. Because we're taking a risk. And we're saying, God, there's more to everything that's happening than just what's going on in my world. So watch this video clip and you'll be encouraged by it before you take this risk with me.
1: With you and Lily. I don't know.
0: I guess I didn't listen to something she told me or something. I mean, I liked her. It's like you embarrass yourself if you say something. And you embarrass yourself if you don't.
1: You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you,
0: something great will come of it. Awesome. All right, hopefully you guys are inspired now. So just really quick overview. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, This guy named Paul is talking about these spiritual gifts that God releases to us at situational moments in time. And one of them is a gift of prophecy. And Paul says that prophetic words are to be encouraging, upbuilding, uplifting. They're not anything negative. And so what you're going to do, person A, is you're going to look at the person you're partnered with. And all I want you to do is start telling them what you see when you look at them. And you're going to have 20 seconds to do that. Okay? So I'm going to tell you when to start. Ready, set, go. All right, time. Time. All right. Good, you guys are doing awesome so far. Okay, now we're going to flip it. Other person, you have 20 seconds to look at them and just tell them what you see about them. Person B, okay? Ready, set, go. All right, time. Time. Awesome. Good job, guys. Good job, good job. Give your attention back up here, please. I know you love each other, love talking. All right, you guys go ahead and grab your seats now. All right. So, how bad was that? Was that so scary? See, the purpose of the church is it's a training ground. It's a place to come back in and get encouraged and built up and then go out into the world and do the stuff that Jesus did. So my challenge to you is that by the end of the week, approach one person you don't know and just tell them what you see when you look at them and see what comes from it. As you begin to tell them positive things you see about them, just keep listening to what you hear, what you're feeling God saying. And I promise you good things will come from it. You know, a lot of times people just want affirmation from strangers, They don't even know it, but everybody in this room is carrying something inside them that they want. You know, everybody wants a taste of Jesus. Not everybody knows that. People aren't necessarily aware of that, but everybody is dying for a taste of Jesus. And we're that taste. We can give them that taste. There's this quote um, by a guy named Thomas Hobbes. He said, he's a he's a fifteenth century political philosopher. Um, and this really struck me. I read this. He said, "When you stop fighting, you've given passive consent to the sovereign authority. When you stop fighting, you've given passive consent to the sovereign authority." What he was getting at—he was talking about state building. And when a um, like a king comes and conquers a land, everybody revolts and they fight it for a while. They keep fighting, but then eventually the king—you know, see—he so conquers the land. When it gets to that point where he conquers the land, everybody's kind of like, okay, we're not going to fight anymore. We're just going to accept this new ruler. They're actually giving him passive consent. They're giving him consent to rule over them. Something I've found in my life where I've given fear consent to rule over my life. Without even knowing it, I've stopped fighting it. And I've given fear consent over me. I don't want that. Does anyone else not want fear to run them? Fear of money, fear of what other people think? fear of provision, well, you know how we break out of that? We rebel. We rebel against fear. We step out against fear. We act in the opposite spirit. And we go up to a stranger that we don't, and we say, hey, I just want you to know, I just love your outfit, and you seem like a really nice person, and I'm sure there's people that really are encouraged by your existence. And hey, maybe nothing prophetic was flowing there. Nothing prophetic came out, but you just showed them Jesus, Because Jesus loves people. He loves to love on people and affirm them. And I promise you that if you do that enough, you'll start saying things you didn't even mean to say. Stuff will just start coming out and people will start crying and saying, how do you know me? How did you know that about me? And it's all because you're just making yourself available to God. You know what God's looking for more than anything? People who have a big yes to him. People who have a humongous yes to him. I'll be the first to admit that I, I have a no to him all the time. But what i found is when I make my, bi- my yes bigger than my no, good things happen. Truth and freedom breaks into people's lives when we're, when we're willing to make our yeses bigger than our fears and our no's. Not these kind of no's. <laughs> so none of that was planned. But that's because it was, was on my heart. Um, I just got married. I got married about a month ago, a month and a week or so, and really, yeah, like, I wish that everybody in this room could have been there, but my father and mother-in-law aren't millionaires, so that's just, can't invite every single person, but we really sincerely do hope you come to that reception, and we'd love just to get to know everybody in this room better, and you to celebrate some in this big thing that, this big new adventure we're going to embark on. but something I'm learning... Who all's is married here? Awesome. So you know what it's like. It's cool, but it's also kind of crazy. And I'm learning just about that. There's this is new adventure I'm embarking on in life. I'm growing closer to somebody. I'm letting somebody into my personal space. We do things differently, you know? I put the shower curtain to the left side of the shower. She puts it to the right side. All kinds of stuff that we're figuring out. And, you know... This, there's this whole new adventure of not having the bed all to yourself i wake up with the covers ripped off of me in the middle of the night or this leg this elbow in my thighs and my my ribs and so that's really honestly something like it's a big change to learn to sleep in the same bed as someone and growing up i always needed background Noise to sleep. So, like growing up, I had the fan on high even in December, just because I needed that. Anyone else like that? They just love having background noise. It really helps them sleep. Well, luckily, Jennifer, my wife, snores. So, <laughs> I just flip this. I flip this fan off every night, and <laughs> no. They're really cute snores. <laughs> They're really cute. To be fair, I, have a whole, I kind of have a nightlife of my own. People tell me I have, I have a nightlife, meaning that I talk and I walk and I do all kinds of crazy stuff in my sleep. But then I don't remember any of it the next day. So who knows like, what I've done in my sleep, when other people aren't around. But apparently, we went on a cruise to the Bahamas, And apparently the first night of the cruise, I was so disoriented about where I was in the room that I was like climbing out the window trying to go to the bathroom. So just to be fair, you know, I think that's a little worse than snoring. Just to give Jenna a break. (laughs) Okay. A huge thing I'm learning though in marriage is I get to grow in intimacy with somebody. I get to grow in closeness with somebody like never before. I get to have somebody by my side, has my back, leads me on, follows me, encourages me, listens to me, that's just faithful to me. And it's awesome, you know? She's always there for me. She's always there to listen. Last night when I spoke, I felt like it was pretty crappy. I felt not good about it, but I had her all night reassuring me, encouraging me. She's how I came back this morning to get up in front of you guys again, because that encouragement. And really what I felt like Um, I was to say is that that's exactly the role God wants to have in our life. We just need to let him do that. He wants to have that intimate connection with us. He wants to encourage us on. He wants to help us keep going when we don't feel like it. He wants our heart to be knit to his. He wants that closeness, that relational intimacy. Because everything that Jen gives me is just a reflection of what God wants to do in my life. All the intimacy we experience with, with in relationships, that's just a drop in the bucket of the closeness God wants to have with us. And he's welcoming us into that. He wants us to be living in that place of relying on him, bringing everything to him, being raw and real with him. Man, if you read the Psalms, David says some tough stuff to God. The book of Psalms is a compilation of like kind of poetry that one of the kings of the Old Testament wrote, and he gets really real and raw with God. And you know how David was described, a man after God's own heart, because he was real with the Lord. He brought himself before Him in authenticity. He wanted to know God in a personal way. He wanted to be real when he was sad or when he was happy. And that's what I wanted to talk about this morning was um, how to foster this place of intimacy with Jesus, how to stay in this place of closeness with God, how to stay reliant upon him and really to move as he moves and to breathe as he breathes and not to, get, not, to be careful not to go out in front of him, but to stay with him, stay in that place of rest with him. Um, and honestly, the, the kind of thing that came to my mind about that was that lots of times unbelief keeps us from that. We get into this kind of mindset or this place of starting to doubt things God has done. Or we develop a critical attitude towards people around us. We stop giving honor where honor is due. We stop, um, honestly, we stop doing 20 seconds of bravery. We stop re- looking outside of ourself. When we get into this place of unbelief, it starts to become all about us and what we're experiencing, what we're feeling. And that's not how God created us to live. He didn't create us to be worried about ourself. Jesus says it over and over in the gospels. Don't be worried about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry for itself. And you know, Matthew six eleven says, but 633, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What he's saying there is, as you seek me, everything else I will bring into alignment. And he's saying, seek me so you don't need to worry about those things. When we stop seeking him and seeking the kingdom, we can come into a place of worry about things because we're not living who we're supposed to be. We're not focusing on the thing we're supposed to focus on. There's a young girl, I mean, adult, young adult girl that's been coming to the, one of the house groups that I'm a part of in Westchester. And when she first started coming, she was quiet as a mouse. She was really timid. She even said a couple of times like, sorry, I'm being awkward or I feel uncomfortable and stuff like that. And throughout the night, we just loved on her and um, just you know didn't put any pressure on her or be anything she didn't want to be or do anything she didn't want to do. And by the end of the night, she ended up rededicating herself, her life to the Lord. She came back the next week and she says to Jen, I want to start praying for people. How do I do this? What do I do? How do I start praying for people? And Jen encouraged, but she said, but I'm so scared to pray out loud. That really just makes me feel fearful and feel tense. And so Jen just said to her something really wise. She said, just start praying for people in your head when you see them and you feel a tug towards them. And honestly, guys, that's a risk. Anytime we think or do something that we normally wouldn't do, we're taking a risk. So just by thinking about doing something you wouldn't normally do, you're taking a risk. You know, it's a victorious way of thinking. And the next week, Lisa comes back and says, you know, I was sitting there, I really wanted to pray for my hairstylist. And I just kept thinking about it. So I started praying for my head. And by the time I left, I had prayed for three hairdressers out loud. And I got to the restaurant and prayed for my waitress. And they all were just so touched. And And see, that's Lisa living out who she really is. That's her being who she's actually called to be. You know, there's an evangelist inside of every single one of us because Jesus is inside of all of you guys. Jesus is living in there. He's where outreach comes from. Outreach doesn't come from my personality. It comes from the person of Jesus. It comes from the Holy Spirit living inside of me and driving me towards the things that Jesus wanted us. That's the Holy Spirit's job, is to point us towards Jesus and to point our emotions and our mindset and our will towards the person of Jesus. So I just want to encourage you guys, man, don't say things like, well, you know, that's something Wilson can do. That's just not me. Don't say negative stuff about yourself like that because you're denying the source that wants to do it. That source, Jesus, wants to do it through you just as much as through me or Lisa or Luke or anybody else. All right. So let's look at Mark 6. Um, this is a cool passage that really, was, really struck me about, about the effect that unbelief can have on us. What, what it can do to us when we really buy into it. And I'm going to point out to you guys a couple of things that I see the people doing here in this passage. And then at the end, I'm going to give you uh, one more tip about how I think we can overcome unbelief. And that, that first thing, that first tip was a 20 seconds of courage. If you guys walk out of here with nothing else, walk out of here just thinking, I'm gonna start looking for ways to have 20 seconds of courage. I just love that clip, man. It's so true. Have 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery and I promise you something good will come from it. I just believe that with all my heart. That when we step outside of ourselves with 20 seconds of bravery, something good will come from it. But okay, let's look at Mark 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he, excuse me, and he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villages teaching. Two things just pierced my heart when I read this. And they took offense at him. Oh, taking offense at Jesus. Man, like what's up with that? How could people take offense with Jesus? I'm sure that if I had asked you when you came in this room, would you take offense at Jesus? Easily you would have said no. Because why would we take offense at the most loving, smart, perfect person that ever lived? The most friendly man to ever walk the earth? Here's why. Here's how you take offense at Jesus. When you start to be critical. Do you see how critical their tone? I can just imagine their tone here in, verses, in verse three. In two, they're, they're acknowledging all these awesome things. And it's almost like they're wondering, like, wow, the astonishing things he's done. But then in three, you can just kind of hear the tone shift. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Isn't this just that carpenter? Criticism can fuel unbelief. It's like a wildfire to unbelief. When we let criticism start to flow in our hearts and in our life, it just gets nasty, man. It's just not healthy. It's not good. Critical attitudes are not from God something that really hit me that I heard um, this guy Putty Putman say, he's the teacher of the School Kingdom Ministry. He said, complaining is the worship language of hell. And that's really what criticism is, is it's vocalizing all your complaints. And you're starting to look less at what's inside of you. You're starting to less look at the person in Jesus and you're starting to look more about what's around you. And that's a bad place to be, to look more at what's around you the stuff you're supposed to be influencing. That's like the trick is everything around us, all the bad stuff that happens in our life is an opportunity for us to influence it back. We're here to influence the world around us, not to have the world around us influence us and crash down on us. And that's what we open ourselves up to when we get these critical hearts, these critical attitudes. We stop giving honor where honor is due. Jesus deserved their honor. He didn't deserve their second guessing. You know? And honestly, Jesus says all the time, "Whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me." So when we're critical of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're critical of others that aren't even saved. When we do good to other people, we're doing it to Jesus. He says, "When you gave um, this cup of water to the least of these, you did it unto me. So when we do good to others? We're blessing just who Jesus is and who he has made us to be. And when we're critical and we're um, not honoring those around us, it's just wounding ourselves. It's wounding our own relationship with God because that's not how we were created to relate with others. So here's a, here's a thought I had. And they took offense at him kind of the drive of my message this morning, I was trying to talk about intimacy and how to stay in a place of intimacy. And it's really, really hard to be in a place of intimacy when you're offended at somebody. So not only when you have offense at God, it's hard to be intimate with him, but when you have offense with others around you, it makes it hard to be intimate with Jesus. Because when you're offended at someone else and you don't solve that and talk to them about it and forgive them, you're holding something against them that even God doesn't hold against them. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, and he made him who knew no sin to become sin. So all the bad stuff that happens was on Jesus so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is another thing Putty said that really hit me. Or he pointed this out to me. Paul talks about in that just a couple chapters after that, that we're not supposed to look at anybody according to the flesh. We're not supposed to look at anybody according to their sin. Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that sin was put back on Jesus. So we don't look at people through what they're doing. We look, at who th- we look at them through the lens of who they can become, what Jesus wants to do in them. If we just start focusing more on the potential in people and what Jesus wants to do in them, man, you'll see people's lives change around you without even you intentionally doing anything. When you just start to focus on the good and the golden people, whew, that's powerful. That's so powerful. That's just being loving. That's just being pure love to others. When you look at the gold in them. I know I'm all over the place, so thanks for bearing with me. Um, So offense with God keeps us from things he has from us. When we're offended with God and we're offended with those around us, it actually stalls growth in our life. It keeps us from getting places that God wants us to go. Because we're holding things inside of us that we're not meant to hold, and you know God's all about freedom. He's not about control. He's about freedom. And so, when we freely choose to love others, when we freely forgive, that unlocks and that brings an open door into breakthrough coming into our life. When we start to call out the golden others. We start to recognize the love God has for them. That opens breakthrough not just for them but for us it opens us up to more of what God has for us. Okay, to kind of finish this, these thoughts I'm having before the worship team comes up, you don't need to come up yet, worship team. Um, I want to read something in Psalms that really encouraged me about how to, how to combat unbelief. And it's this whole idea of testimonies. Psalm 119, verse 167 says, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. And earlier on, the psalmist says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. When we keep on the forefront of our mind the things God has done in our life, the victories he's won for us, that opens us up to seeing him do more and actually combats unbelief in our life. When we remember what he's done for us, we're putting what he has done above our present circumstances. And it's easy to get it mixed up. It's easy to see what's around us more than who God is. But when we keep the testimonies, it does. I don't know how it works in my heart exactly, but I promise you I experience this all the time. When I keep his testimony above my experience, it just brings life to me. You know, it brings life. So, okay, I'm going to tell you a story real quick before I finish, just to encourage you guys about the importance of testimonies. Last, about two weeks ago, we've been seeing this really cool thing happen with the young adults. We've been seeing people just get saved left and right on the street. In the past couple of weeks, we've seen like 20 people. There's multiple people in this room right now who have led more than one person to the Lord in the past couple of weeks. Because it's just, God's just doing it. We're just being available and saying, Hey, have you ever been born again? Do you want to welcome Jesus in your life? And people are just ready. Because, you know, people just want to be close to Jesus. We don't need to be scared to ask people that question. People want it, they want it so bad. A couple of weeks ago, we were at the mall praying for people. And uh, Kirsten and I, she's one of the interns here. I'm not sure if she's in here. Um, we were praying, we were just approaching strangers saying, Hey, can we pray for you? And then we approached this, this young guy, really sharp looking. He's sitting down um, sitting at a table in the food court of Northgate Mall. And usually I don't introduce myself right away and ask if they want prayer. I try to make a little small talk just because that seems a little more natural. But I was just like, hey man, what's up? I'm Wilson, could you use prayer for anything? And he's taken aback like, what, why, what do you mean? And I said, dude, Jesus just loves you and he's pursuing you. And then this thought just went through my head, just this idea of shoulder pain. It wasn't like I heard the words shoulder pain go through my head. And it wasn't like I even felt it on my body. I just, my, my mind, my imagination just wandered to the idea of shoulder. And that was actually God speaking to me. And I had, I had um, proposed to you guys that God speaks to you about other people a lot. And we just need to start learning to recognize it. And how we recognize it is putting ourselves out there with 20 seconds of bravery. So I said, all right, man, <laughs> I don't know if this is going to make any sense, but 20 seconds of bravery. Here we go. Dude, do you have any shoulder pain? is your shoulder bothering you at all? And he's like, what? I said, yeah, like, does your shoulder hurt at all? He's like, yeah, my shoulder's killing me. How did you know that? And I just want to preface this by saying, I do this all the time and I'm totally off. I ask people if they have pain in their body all the time and I'm off. So it's not like every single time I'm right, but I just keep stepping out in it. And when you hear the end of the story, you'll probably be inspired to step out in it too. (laughs) Keep talking to him. Said, dude, Jesus just loves you. He told me that so he could heal you right now. He is passionate about you, man. He has a plan for your life. And, you know, this is not something he probably hears every day. So he stands up and I said, dude, let me, can I just pray for your shoulder? God will heal you right now. Put my hand on his shoulder, pray for him one time. And I'm like, check it out. Test it. Tell me how it's feeling. He starts swinging his shoulder around just like this. And he's going bigger. He starts spinning his shoulder. He's like, what did you do to me? What did you do to my shoulder? I'm like, what do you mean? Tell me what's going on. Like, how does it feel? Don't be nice to me. Tell me the truth. How does it feel? He said, my shoulder doesn't hurt at all. How did you do that? What just happened? How did you do that? And he reached over and picks up a chair. He's like, I couldn't have done this before. He's picking (laughs) a chair up. And so then I just said, well, dude, you know what? You know what that was? That was Jesus." welcoming you into a relationship with him. That was Jesus taking the first step towards you and saying, hey, I love you, man. I love you enough that I just want your shoulder to feel better. Do you know what people don't know that? People really think that God doesn't care that much about them. People believe that God cares more about other people than them. That's just an incorrect understanding of the capacity of God's love. God loves and cares about everyone in this room just as much as people starving in Africa or just as much as people in the worst of circumstances. And that's because he has a greater capacity to love than we do. God's capacity to love doesn't look at circumstances. It looks at people. And when we start doing the same thing, we start looking at people, we'll start releasing God's love into their life in a way they've never experienced. So I say to him, man, Jesus loves you. He wants a relationship with you. What do you think about that? He said, I want a relationship with Jesus. He had no problem getting born again. He had no problem with Jesus then. Yeah, it's all Jesus. So he, he accepts Christ into his life. We pray for him. He, just, he doesn't understand what's going on still. I really encourage him, man, start reading the Bible. We visited him last week, talked to him more, encouraged him more. And um, But then immediately after that encounter, Kirsten and I are just like on cloud nine, like we're as happy as he is this just happened. So we're walking around like, who's next? Let's go. Who's next? <laughs> so we go into the food court and we see these two kind of like punk looking high school guys. You know, I was, I was a punk looking high school guy. So that's why I can say this, okay? <laughs> I was the epitome of chip on my shoulder. Don't talk to me. You're an idiot. Da-da-da-da. So that's what these two guys, I can just read the vibe so much on them. So I walk over there, sitting in their booth, sitting back, like, real relaxed and cool. And I'm like, hey, guys, have you ever had, like, a prophetic reading? Has anybody ever told you about your future? Or, like, has anybody ever encouraged you and told you, like, what Jesus sees in you? And I said it that way. That sounds a little weird. I said it that way to get their attention because they're interested then, you know? Like, if people come up to you and say, a prophetic reading, that just sounds off the wall and kind of cool and mystic and interesting. And so they're like, no, we've never had that. And I was like, well, would you like that? Like, you know, this is, this is all just because Jesus loves you and he wants you to know how much he cares about you. She's so like, sure. So Kirsten and I just start prophesying to them and just telling them just like the positive things about them. And as I start to say the positive things, this, this thought goes through my head that the young guy I'm talking to is not a, his um, family situation is hard and that his parents are, or there's people in his house fighting a lot. And he's really struggling with that. I said, man, I just get the sense that your home life is kind of rough right now and that your parents even are fighting or something. And I said, do you have any little sisters? Because I just get the sense that you're like, kind of like the guardian of the family when this stuff starts happening. And I said, dude, God wants to bring peace in your, relation, in your parents' relationship, and he wants to use you to do that. And I was like, does this make any sense? Does this make any sense? And his jaws dropped. It's, I mean, I don't know how I know that stuff. Okay, It's not like something special about Wilson. It was just calling out the gold in him and being encouraging to him. And all that was dead on. He has no problem with Jesus either. Kirsten, what she's saying to this girl or this guy, he has no problem with it. Then, because we're just calling out the life in them. We're calling out encouragement and joy and truth about who they are. Then these two guys, their girlfriends walk over, or at least one of their girlfriends and another girl. And I could just tell they were all indignant. Like, who are these people talking to our boyfriends? Like, You know? (laughs) Snapping their fingers. (laughs) And they kind of come and position themselves in between me and their boyfriend like, all sassy. And I'm just like, hey, like, and they're like, what are they doing? What are they saying? And the guy's jaws just dropped. He's like, I can't remember her name, Becca or Sue or whatever. You got to let him pray for you. Like, you have no idea. Like, he just told me stuff about me that there's no way he could have known. He's saying it's because of Jesus. She's like, what are you talking about? And right at this moment, I glance to my right and I see the kid's footlocker sign up on the wall or in front of the kid's footlocker store. And the thought just goes through my head. She really wants to have kids. And so I'm going out on a limb here. This is like a 15-year-old girl. Kind of a weird thing to say, right? You know, most people think that's weird. Stay back from that. But I'm pretty committed to following God's presence, okay? I've tried to make that a principle in my life that I'm committed to God's presence more than anything else, more than stereotype or... And I'm not promoting doing something stupid or foolish, but I just really felt that in my heart, that she wanted kids. So I just said to her, you know what, I just see that you really can't wait to be a mom someday, I just see there's this deep desire in you ever since you were a little girl that you really can't wait to be a mom someday. And I said, I think this even fueled from the awesome relationship that you have with your parents. I just feel like your parents are really nurturing and loving and they've always surrounded you with love and joy and they just really love you. And you can't wait to pass that on to somebody else someday. So does that make any sense? And her jaw drops. And she's just like, how do you know that? How did you know that about me? See, I just broke every rule in the book, Okay. (laughs) In evangelism, the evangelism book, you don't do weird stuff like that. But I was just sensing that, so I went for it. Another girl walks up, same exact thing happens with her, end up all four of them accepting Jesus on the spot. And that's just because that's just because of 20 seconds of bravery, 20 seconds of looking outside of myself and my comfort zone and what I know and trying to share God's love with somebody. That's where that all started calling out the gold, telling somebody something positive about them, calling out God's heart for somebody. It's simple, man. Doing the stuff, that thing, everybody gets to do the stuff. We start from there. Everybody gets to do that stuff. Everything I just said, everybody in this room can do. It's not a special thing to me or to another pastor or to John Wimber. This is what all of us are called to do. We're called to go and turn Northgate Mall upside down, Kroger upside down, your workplace upside down, your school upside down. And people are gonna be confused because they found out there's a God that loves them. And there's people that follow this God so much, they're willing to embarrass themselves for 20 seconds. They start to get a, they get to see a little snippet of the ocean of love that God has for them. And it's our job. We've been tasked with doing that. We've been tasked with going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus and doing the same works he did. And I just want to speak this out over everyone in this room. As we start to do do that stuff, 20 seconds of bravery, that's when we're going to start to see same and greater works. You know, Jesus said that you will do the same and greater works than me. It has to start somewhere. Why not start with you, 20 seconds of bravery? Worship band, you guys can come on up. Um, I'm going to read one more passage. It would have been really cool if I walked off stage right there, I think. <laughs> that would have been a good spot to walk off, but I didn't tell the worship band to come up. I could have just like dropped the mic. and. <laughs> um, so I just want to encourage your hearts with one last verse. It's in 1 uh, Timothy. Oh yeah, and the whole point of me sharing that, the testimonies, is that as I share testimonies to you guys, you can grab a hold of that. And you can start to trust and say, hey, Wilson is no different than me. Get indignant. Get indignant indignant at me. Okay. I encourage you look at me and say, I want that. I want what's happening in his life to happen in my life. I want what's happening in Luke's life and in Van's life and Amanda's life and in Jen's life. I want that happen in my life. I want Vinny on me. I want to have the same courage that Vinny has. I want to go out and bless people and love on them. Get fired up, man. Get fired up for the gospel. So I'm going to read this verse really quick. It's actually just, it's 1 Timothy 1, 14. This is so good. Just close your eyes and take this in. You know, the Bible is so much more than just words. It's just God's life being poured out to us. Just receive this. Just open your heart to God's truth right here. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The grace of the Lord overflowed. Lord, we just we want to experience the overflowing of your grace, Father. We just cry and say, we want to experience the overflowing of your grace that is in Christ Jesus. I just, I just pray for just real worship to happen right now. Worship that's in spirit and truth that is just seeking to see God's face and seeking to be in a closer relationship with him. We want to know you better, Lord. We just deny ourselves. We put down our fear. We just put it down and we say, we want to follow you exactly how you intended us to. We don't want to settle for the status quo. We want to follow you how you did it, Jesus. Jesus' name, amen.